like to draw you back to your seats as we begin to preach God's Word. Good morning and welcome. I'm glad to be here with you. Um, this is our last sermon in the book of Ephesians, even though someone will be like, wait, there's verses 21 through 24, which is just a final greeting. And I honestly, I looked at the final greeting and I was like, I'm sure I could preach a sermon. I just don't want to preach a sermon on a, on a final greeting. I'm sure I don't want to bleed something out of there. So we're just going to end with this verse. And uh, <laughs> it is the last um, sermon on spiritual warfare that uh, we've been going through. Um, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 18, 19, and 20 of chapter 6 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but I want to read verses 14 through 20, um, noticing we've made a mistake in the bulletin insert or that, that many of you got, that, that the scripture begins at verse 16, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, we make mistakes, as we all do, and sometimes it just gets publicly displayed on, for everybody. So uh, bear with me as I read verses 14 and 15, and then... Join with me, you don't have to say it, but just read along with me, um, starting in verse 16. This is God's Word. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we know that left to ourselves, we would not be able to understand that we need Your Spirit to guide us and enlighten our hearts and our minds, that we might not only see what Your Word says, but we would do what Your Word says. Help me, Lord, as I uh, reveal the mysteries of the Gospel, mysteries of, of the faith. Use my broken words and my thick tongue to accomplish Your purposes and Your glory. Amen. Uh, on Tuesday, this ap- this uh, on Tuesday afternoon of this week, I was finishing up what I needed to do um, for work, and I received a call from my wife Kimberly. And this is one of those calls that you hate to get. It's a call where where the caller on the other side of the phone is short breathed and panicky. Well, in this particular occasion, Kimberly's voice was this way because she had just received a phone call that our beloved dog Dixie had just been hit by a car. And unbeknownst to her, she didn't know if the dog was dead or alive. Now, I got out of where I was working as fast as I possibly could. And by the time I got home, which wasn't very long, I discovered that indeed my dog was alive, but in need of medical attention. Thankfully, she was able to receive it and is currently on the road to recovery. We're very thankful for that. But here's what the story reminded me of all week long. And I know it's a dog. I know it's like, yeah, it's a dog. But if you have a dog, you know how much a dog means to you. (laughs) Only dog people know this, how much dogs mean to you. But this is what it reminded me of this week. And it's real. And it's, it'll get to your heart real quick. And this is what it reminded me of. I'm not in control. 
No matter what I perceive, no matter what I think, no matter how I act or even desire, I'm not in control. You know, many of you have experienced this lack of control when you witnessed a loved one passing away. Or when you've had a beloved relationship that seems to just slip through your hands despite your control. Many of you experience this in your jobs or in child rearing or even by looking at the political landscape. You look at life and you're faced with this inevitable reality. I'm not in control. When this reality strikes us, many of us wonder where we go. What do we do when we have this sense of, uh, of, of loss of control? And throughout history, many people have sought to deal with this. And one of the primary ways, regardless of age, race, religion, people have been turning to one primary thing. Prayer. People have been turning to prayer in the midst of their lack of control. They get on their knees and they plead with God to intercede. You can be sure that this week God heard many prayers from my mouth. Heal Dixie, O Lord. Heal Dixie. And I'm thankful up to this point that He has been faithful to answer that prayer. But here's the question. What if His life is good? What if you're comfortable and things just seem to be good? What happens to prayer at that point? Are you spending time interceding when life seems to be good, when you are apparently in control? My guess is, just like me, when life is good, or when you're comfortable, prayer goes out the door. Because you're in control. But are you confident in your control? When life seems to be going good, how confident are you that it's going to continue to be good? You might say, I'm in control. But the way that you determine whether or not you're really in control is, I can just tell you, this is a test, how often do you pray? The amount of your prayer determines the amount of control you think you have. If you aren't interceding for yourself or for others, my guess is you're deceived with the amount of control you have in your life. In the, cha- in the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul reminds us as Christians that we are in the midst of an intense spiritual battle against forces that we cannot see. Evil forces in the heavenly places. What this reminds me of, and what this should remind you of, is that just because life feels good, or that you are comfortable, or that you see things and it's good, that doesn't mean that you've got things in control. There are forces that are going against you. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to convince all of us to be a people of intercessory prayer in the midst of troubled times and even amidst the times when we feel good or when we are comfortable. I want to do this this morning by looking at three aspects of the last three verses of the text that we have printed in your bulletin. Verses 18, 19, and 20. And what we're going to see in these three verses are three different perspectives of intercessory prayer. 
We're going to look at the purpose of intercessory prayer and consider what it is. Then we're going to consider the practice of intercessory prayer. And finally, we're going to look at the power for intercessory prayer. It is my hope that as we study these three verses, that indeed all of us would become people of intercessory prayer, whether it be good times or bad times. Let's dive in, studying God's Word. First, let's take some time to consider the purpose of intercessory prayer. Why is it that we pray? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory and rather elementary. Look at what Paul says. We see it in verse 19. Paul says, pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see this. Paul's plea to the church in Ephesus is very simple. I need help. Pray to God to help me. Pray to God that I might be given the words to proclaim the mystery of the gospel and that I might be, have the help to do it boldly. Would you intercede on, God, God, on my behalf before God so that He might help me in these ways? Now you might be wondering, why in the world would Paul, this great apostle, the one who outside of Christ is the most significant character in all of Christianity, why would he need help? I mean, he's this great preacher, preaching in the area of Gapas, which is like the biggest place in Athens. He's preaching in front of Roman emperors. Why would he need help? Well, we know from Paul's writing himself is that the man struggles to speak. When you look at his letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he says, I'm a, I'm a bumbling, stumbling idiot. I am not a good speaker. And he says in other places to this church, he's like, look, I'm unskilled. I don't have the ability to convince people with my words like other orators might be able to. And I need help because God has called me to be a proclaimer of His mysterious gospel. And as a bumbling, stumbling, I won't say idiot because that's not what he says, but you can kind of infer this. I need help. It's very simple. I think intuitively many of us understand that when we are praying for God to help, or when we're, inter- or we're praying for God to help, this is an intercessory prayer. It doesn't take much. But let's think for a moment. Let's think about the God in whom we are praying to when we are interceding for ourselves or for others. What does this say about God? And this is where we get to the purpose of intercessory prayer. When we pray to God for help, we are acknowledging that God is more powerful than we can imagine or even think. And we are pleading that this powerful God would intercede on our behalf. This is exactly what Paul understands when he asks for prayer. He he understands that God can take a thick tongue like himself, a man with poor oratory skills, and, 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 and use these very things for God's glorious end. That God is able to take that which is weak and make it strong. Many of us have understood this or heard this phrase, and it's it's honestly I hear it all throughout. When I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know who wrote that? Do you know who coined that term? Paul. Paul is the one that says, when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul understood that the power of God was most prevalent amidst his weakness. 
as He went and as He proclaimed the mystery of the Gospel, He saw God powerfully work despite His inability to speak. And so, when we intercede, we cry for help, confessing that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That God is able to help in times of need. The purpose of intercessory prayer is to find help from our powerful God. In the summer of 2007, I went to Reynosa, Mexico, which is just on the border of the United States. And I went for the purpose of building a school for those who could not hear. While there, I met a young lady named Sarah, who at that time was ministering to the women in a particular part of the town called Boys Town. And this area was guarded by armed drug cartel members and high walls with the intention of keeping those they don't want in out. And simply put, if your mind is wondering what type of place this is, it is a place where men sought to satisfy their appetites of lust. Okay, follow along with me there. Well, while I was there, after working in the hot Mexican summer heat, we were hanging around just, just enjoying and telling stories, and she ends up telling us the story of how she began ministering to the women of that, sit, of that part of the town. And she said, I, I, I had no connections to anyone in that city, so I determined that I was just going to start walking and praying around that part of town every day. And so she walked and prayed for God to help establish relationships behind the walls. She walked and prayed for God to help the women who were addicted and abused. She walked and prayed for the guards who watched over the city. She walked and prayed for the men who sought to satisfy themselves behind the walls of Boytown. And of course, when you walk around a place for a significant period of time, and it's guarded by men with guns, a white woman walking around a Mexican part of the town is going to draw attention. And one of the armed guards, of course, stopped her one day and said, What are you doing? And she says, I'm praying. And he looked at her and he said, Oh, will you pray for me? She says, Sure. And this is what she started to pray for this man. It was great. She said, Lord, I pray that you bring this man unrest until he finds your rest in you. Mind you, this is a drug cartel man with a gun. And he, she is praying, give him unrest until he finds rest in you. And he literally stopped her when she prayed that. And he goes, don't pray that prayer for me. I don't want you praying that. But she kept praying it. And she continued to walk and pray around that city, praying that God would give her the opportunity to begin ministering to the women of the city. Well, one day, she was walking, and she noticed that her friend, who she knew so well now, was no longer there. And one of the other armed guards came up to her and said, your friend, who you've known and have been praying for, was shot and killed. And we know that He meant a lot to you. And we want to let you come in to the walls of Boys Town. And we want you to come and take care of us and serve us. And so she did. So she began to serve the women of the city. How in the world did she do that? How in the world could a white woman in the midst of one of the most guarded places in all of Mexico by cartel members do that? It was the power of God. It was the power of God that she sought through prayer. Those walls were nothing to God. 
those guns were nothing to God. She began to serve. And she served through prayer. What is the purpose of intercessory prayer? It is to help you in times of need. And make no mistake, based off of the spiritual warfare that we face, there are spiritual forces aiming their guns right at you and right at your friends. And no matter how you feel, no matter how good you feel, those guns are being pointed at you and your friends and the trigger is being pulled. And you need the help from above. You need the power of God to resist those bullets. Our God is able to provide power against those bullets. So we pray in tough times, certainly, but also when it feels like life is going good. God is able to intercede on our behalf. That's the purpose of intercessory prayer. So we looked at the purpose of intercessory prayer. We're going to take some time now and consider the practice of intercessory prayer. How is it that we ask God to intercede on our behalf? Indeed, it is not my intention right now to to cover every aspect of intercessory prayer. For if I were to do that, you would be here for far too long and I would need several weeks to write that. I don't want to do that and I I know you don't want to listen to me do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at three little aspects based off of verse 18 and a little bit into verse 19 about the practice of intercessory prayer. How is it that we intercede? Look at what Paul says in verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and pray also for me. Here there are two basic ideas for the practice of intercessory prayer, or as stated in our Bibles, supplication, which is the same thing as intercessory prayer. The first aspect is who we are to pray for. And then the second, how we are to pray for them. Two very helpful ways. So who are we to pray for? Who are we to intercede for? Two, two people. All the saints, and then as Paul says, what I, not what I will convince you of is for the ministers of the gospel. So we pray for all the saints and for ministers of the gospel. It is vitally important that we as a people, as Christians, are praying for other Christians. Paul commands us to do this, to pray for all the saints, to intercede on their behalf, to intercede amongst their afflictions, to intercede amongst their unbelief, to intercede for them in the midst of the spiritual battles facing us every day. We are to pray for each other. But he also asks them to pray for himself. Or what I would say is to pray for the ministers and those ministry leaders amongst us. And I think Paul does this for a very specific reason. And I think I want you to think of this. One of the most effective ways Satan can attack the church is through its leaders. If Satan wants to manipulate the truth, cause you to doubt your salvation, to create tension in the midst of our minds and hearts, then who better to do this than the church leaders? If he can place his bullseye on the church leader, pull his trigger, and hit, then he knows that he will hit many more with him. Think of all the scandalous times in the church when people just dismiss the church when they see the failures of a ministry leader. And so Paul wants all of you to think this, and I want you to pray for me, to pray for those who are in ministry leadership, 
Because Satan takes his bullseye, especially on people like me, and he pulls the trigger knowing that if he can hit me and hit other pastors and hit other ministry leaders, he will knock down several others. So he asks to pray for all the saints, but to pray especially for those who are ministry leaders. We practice intercession by asking God to intercede on our behalf. But secondly, we're going to see how, how we are to intercede, how we are to pray. And there's two phrases that I want us to see to help us in our, in our prayer. First, keep alert. To keep alert. What does Paul mean in this verse by keeping alert? Well, the Greek word that he uses in this is a group neo. It's the word used for watching. Essentially, Paul here is encouraging all of us that while we pray, we pray with our eyes open. We are to watch for the ways our fellow Christians need help in their fight against Satan. Watch for the ways they need help from God. We are not to wait for the request to be made to pray. We are to watch and pray to keep alert. So we keep alert by watching our friends. We keep alert by watching our children. We keep alert by watching what the church is doing and going through. We keep alert in this way. If you have a friend who's been deceived by the glamour of wealth, pray very specifically like Sarah prayed for that guard that God would reveal to them the inability of their riches to satisfy their hearts. A person who is deceived will never know that they're deceived. They need the power of God to awaken them to their deception. So we pray with eyes open, keeping alert to the way that Satan is attacking us. But secondly, Paul tells us that in our prayers we are to persevere. This is a silly story, and perhaps you've heard it before. But a preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed that her father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. And one day she looked at her dad and said, Why do you do this? He very happily um, replied, Well, honey, because she's so excited, by the way, that his five-year-old daughter is watching and observing all the things. He said, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And then she got this puzzling look on her face and said, Oh, how come he doesn't answer it then? (laughs) Many of us know the pain and the frustration of unanswered prayers. Why isn't God answering my prayer? And upon this frustration, we just give up, assuming that God is not at work. But my friends, we must persevere when it appears that God's not answering our prayers. Jesus tells the parable of the widow who pleaded time and time and time again with the wicked judge to give her bread. And He used that as a parable to demonstrate perseverance in prayer. Just because God does not answer your prayer right away doesn't mean that God is not going to answer your prayer. Therefore, we must persevere. How do we pray? Pray with our eyes open, watching for ways, and we pray with perseverance. There's a a man in the 1800s who many considered to be, and in many ways, the, the, the penultimate preacher. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He preached in London at a place called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was an incredible church, and it's a church and the sermons that I continue to read to this day and take great delight from. 
But many assumed that it was Charles Spurgeon and his ability to communicate the Gospel that was the heart of this church where thousands upon thousands of people came to to the church to hear him preach and to be affected by his sermons. It wouldn't be uncommon in the midst of his sermons that the wailing and the crying from the conviction of people's hearts would overtake his voice. It's not uncommon. And many people assumed that it was Charles Spurgeon and the power that he had and the ability to speak, but he would tell you, no, no. It's not my voice. It's not my ability to communicate that brings power. It's the practice of my people who are interceding on our behalf all the time, every morning, while I preach. And if you were there with him and talking to him about his ministry, he would actually walk you to the basement where the people would be praying while he's preaching. And he says, you want to know where the power comes from? It's not from my lips. It's from where people are on their knees, interceding, practicing the very thing that I'm trying to get us to do as a church. Interceding for the people in the chairs. Interceding on my behalf as I preach God's Word and proclaim His mysteries. That's where the power comes from. Therefore, my friends, we should practice intercession as that church once did. You know, we do this every Sunday morning in our church. Not many people come. And I don't mean that as a guilt or anything like that, but it does reveal to me a little bit of what our perspective on intercessory prayer as a church is. If I'm being uh, mindful or reproving, whatever you want to call it, we're not a church that really believes in intercessory prayer. And it should cause us to reflect on what we think of prayer. I want to encourage those of us you know, who might feel convicted. I, I'm trying to get you guys to intercede on our behalf. To come Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock downstairs in the basement right below me and join me uh, and Bailey, me and Bailey, we're the ones praying for every Sunday for just a period of time. It's a good way to do this. Pray for your friends. Pray for me. Pray for our church. Pray for our city. We do this with our eyes open and with perseverance. So we've looked at the purpose of intercessory prayer. We've considered the practice of intercessory prayer, but now we're going to take the time to consider the power for intercessory prayer. Let's think for a moment what it is that we are doing. We are going into the presence of the Almighty God, into His courtrooms, and we're pleading for Him to work on our behalf. Many of us consider this to be nothing. We've grown up in church and we've considered that it's nothing to come before God. And I think that there's something beautiful to that. But let us consider for a moment who we are going before. And the audacity it takes to go before God Almighty and to plead with Him on our behalf to work in and amongst us. How do we have the audacity, the power, to go in front of Him and say, would you work on my behalf and on the behalf of others? Where do we find the power for intercessory prayer? It's in verse 18. And I want to draw your attention and we can easily miss it. Take up the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is the Word of God. And here it is. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
The power for intercessory prayer comes not from our life that's been lived correctly. It comes not from our obedience or our righteousness in and of ourselves. It comes because we have access to the Father in the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. We come into the presence of the Almighty God because we're in the Spirit by faith. How is it that God, a holy and righteous Father, would ever listen to a people who are riddled with sin, who look to life from everything under the sun? How is it a God who commands holiness allow an unholy people to come into His presence? You know, many of us wrongly perceive that God is a cosmic Santa Claus, dangling the thread of coal amidst bad behavior, but in truth, never going to give us coal amidst our bad behavior. He's always going to give us what we want. But God is not some cosmic Santa Claus always dangling and then at the last moment giving us this cheap gift of, oh yeah, 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 I'm going to give it to you. No, no. He's righteous. And He's just. He gives you what you deserve. If you are a sinner, if you disobey Him, what you deserve is getting out of His presence. Never being able to come into His presence casting you away. What we, what we in the church will then inevitably say is, will lead to hell. If you are in your sin, hell is your destiny. Don't even think about coming into His presence. A sinner. He's not Santa Claus. He's a just and holy God. But yet, but yet, there is good news. He has given us His Spirit that we might come into His presence forgiven and righteous. And the question becomes for us, how is it that we get the Spirit? How is it that we pray in the Spirit? What is this Spirit that joins us? How do we get that? Because I want to bring my pleas and my requests to the God who is able to knock down every wall, knock down every thing that Satan sets up against us. I want to go into the presence of this holy God, this powerful God. I want that. And if I need the Spirit, how do I get that? We get that by faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you will recall John 3 where this religious leader Nicodemus goes into the presence of Jesus and he says, you know, okay Jesus, what, what's going on? And Jesus says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you will not be born again. Meaning, and he goes on to work, how do we get the Spirit? You get the Spirit by belief. How is it that we get into the presence of a holy God as an unholy people? By acknowledging, one, that you're not holy. And that by believing in Jesus who is holy, whose life was lived righteously, and who was given up as a sacrifice so that we might be forgiven. When we believe in that, the Spirit dwells within us, making us forgiven, holy, and righteous. And that as forgiven and being counted as righteous, we can go into the throne room of God, not as orphans, but as children, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. If you were to go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today and try to drive your car into the driveway like it was your driveway, I guarantee you, you ain't getting very far. 
If you persisted, well, I know that they're going to take you away real quick. But here's the thing. If you were the son or the daughter of a president, I guarantee you, you would be placed in the president's car and escorted into the gates of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House, for those that don't know, and welcomed in freely. It's the same with those who say, I don't got it figured out together. In fact, I'm so riddled with sin, I don't deserve anything such as this. But I look to Jesus. To those that look to Jesus, you have been placed in the car and have been given free access to the throne of God, the Holy of Holies. And there you might plead with God the Father in the Spirit through Jesus for Him to work and for Him to give His power on your behalf and on the behalf of others. Where do we find the power for intercessory prayer? We find it through Jesus in the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing that we as people can plead with our Heavenly Father to work in and amongst us, to fight against evil, and even to fight against the day-to-day trials and frustrations that many of us go through. May we be a people who indeed understand the purpose of intercessory prayer. May we be a people that practice intercessory prayer in good times and in bad. And may we remember, may we remember the way and the reason we have the power for intercessory prayer through Jesus, in the Spirit, to the Father. Many wonder why um, this phrase, in Jesus' name, is placed at the end of all prayers. You may wonder, why is it that Christians say, in Jesus' name, Amen? It's because every time we go in front of God the Father, we need to plead before Him, Jesus' name. Indeed, we close every prayer in Jesus' name because we need Jesus' name so that He might hear us. And indeed, He does. And He works on our behalf. My friends, let us be a people of prayer. We might fight against Satan's battles and stand. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, You did not have to, our Father, You did not have to um, provide us a way in which Your power can come in and amongst us. But You have, and You've done that through prayer. I ask that You would be with us as a church and as people, that we would be solely dependent upon You in this life amongst the good times and the bad times. We ask You to intercede on our behalf. And we know that we we do this because of Jesus and His blood shed for us on the cross and His Spirit given to us through belief. Remind us of this beautiful truth that we might be people of prayer and that we might see Your power in amongst us. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.